Christchurch, New Malden, 7th of March, 2021. Tim Davis speaking on Veganism, a big missed steak? Food. I have to say, this was not a subject I was looking forward to speaking on as part of our Lent 2020 Carbon Fast for Creation. And so one year on, uh, has anything changed? Well, we all know we need to reduce our carbon footprint. We all know we need to use less fuel, less energy, recycle more, stop using produce and products with single-use plastic. It's a vital message that we hear repeatedly. And so we know too that we also need to change our eating habits and diets. It's just that food is such an emotive subject. We get uncomfortable hearing sermons on money and giving to church, but I reckon this is not too far behind in terms of topics people generally don't want to feel challenged on. Food is a very personal thing for a lot of us, and being asked to consider changing our eating habits can be quite unnerving. People can be worried about the financial impact. They may have dietary requirements. There are particular taste preferences, or perhaps you may have children or other members of a household who aren't yet broad enough in their taste range and will insist on a very select range of foods to eat. And it may simply be the convenience of going to your nearest shop or supermarket. And yet, despite all that, the role that food, and in particular its production, plays in contributing to the rise in carbon emissions and damage to our planet is one we simply can't afford to or choose to ignore. So, uh, I say, I'm sorry, it's probably going to get a little uncomfortable for some of us today, and you may feel like I'm trying to ruin your enjoyment of Sunday lunch or dinner later on, but that's really not the case. Hopefully, you'll actually feel positive and excited about foods, but let's see how we get on. So, let's start with looking at why we have a problem. By 2050, according to some estimates, the number of mouths to feed on Earth will exceed 9.7 billion. To feed all of humanity, according to the World Resources Institute, we will need to produce 56% more food. The problem is, we have to do this while avoiding further deforestation. Nearly a quarter of all global greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture, forestry and other land use. And so rather than making space and using more land to produce food, we in fact need to lose less. As incomes rise, people increasingly consume more resource-intensive, animal-based foods. The climate crisis will not help. Pests will multiply as temperatures rise. Floods, droughts and extreme weather will ravage crops. And desertification will take large bites out of currently available arable land. Food. Glorious food. We, we just want more and more of it. It's constantly on the television with endless hours of food programmes to tempt and tantalise our taste buds. Back in 2014, a national newspaper did an audit of the number of hours of cookery programmes shown on satellite and cable television. It was over 430 hours. You know, that's 18 days of television in just one week. Food. We want it on demand rather than seasonal. 
We want to try out lots of new restaurants. We want more and more delicious meat. Now, we can be obsessed with food. The problem is we can't sustain this demand unless we make drastic changes or suffer drastic consequences. Now, the title that was originally given to this talk was Vegan, a Big Missed Steak. Get it? Uh, but now relax. I'm not going to tell everyone that they have to go vegan. But I'm also not going to shy away from highlighting just what a problem our consumption of meat is. And in particularly ruminant meats. That's meat which comes from animals that are able to acquire nutrients from plant-based foods. So you know, beef, lamb, goat. Consumption of ruminant meat is projected to rise 88% between 2010 and 2050. And beef, the most commonly consumed ruminant meat, is resource intensive to produce, requiring 20 times more land and emitting 20 times more greenhouse gases per gram of edible protein than common plant proteins such as beans and peas and lentils. Now, the reading we heard from Isaiah is a pretty gloomy one, but it shows the consequences of not caring for God's creation and instead becoming self-indulgent and greedy. In the creation story, in the Genesis reading we also heard, we see that God created man and woman and gave to them, to us, autonomy over the whole world. Genesis chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. We were given this bountiful creation to sustain all life. And yet we've ended up in the situation where land is intensively over-farmed to satisfy our need for food on demand to satisfy taste preferences rather than calorie need, and to maximise profit above all else. In the time of Isaiah, the land in Israel was seen as a gift from God, one that was to be held in trust for each family. And yet the rich would try and get around this requirement and dispossess people, especially the poor, from their land. Greed led to the perversion of moral law. But the prophet warns that this will lead to ruin. And it's one which is even more pertinent to us today than it was thousands of years ago. The dispossession of land from indigenous people is far greater today than it was back then. And the intensive use of land is one which we know is causing problems for our world. This creation that God gave to us. And our self-indulgence is something that goes against God's plan for creation. Isaiah warned that those who pay attention only to their own desires for wealth, pleasure and entertainment and have no time for the creator and his work will be deprived of those very things as exile and death come upon them. 
food is an issue that we can't ignore. But food is something that's essential to our lives. It's something that is so worrying to think about not having enough of. A year ago, we saw crazy behaviour in the shops here in the UK and also around the world. People started stockpiling food and toiletries because they worried about having to restrict their movements for a few weeks and worried about not having enough food in their cupboard. We worried about there being shortages and so we panic bought and stockpiled more than was at all necessary. And of course the irony was that in buying more now to avoid being without later on, we were actually hastening a shortage of food in the immediate term. But let's try and be positive, shall we, and think about what we can do about this problem of food and its impact on the planet. When I was thinking about this, I thought I'd try and write down some suggestions, and I was willing to go radical here, as sometimes it's the unexpected suggestions that bring about the most amazing solutions. So these are my carbon-lowering, food-enjoying, radical-thinking, awesome solutions that I came up with. Number one. Euthanize 2 billion people. Uh, We have a food crisis, mainly because of overpopulation. So it's perhaps an extreme measure, but tackling overpopulation might help. The problem, however, yep, it's murder. It's wrong. It's not justified. Yes, overpopulation is an issue, and it's one which governments across the world are looking to address and taking steps to reverse. But it's not something you and I can consider taking drastic action over. Now, number two, uh, watch the film Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. For those of you unfamiliar with this, it's a great film about a bunch of people who go into the far reaches of our galaxy and beyond to try and discover planets capable of sustaining life because the Earth has basically become unsustainable. Crops don't grow anymore and we're pretty much doomed. Uh, The problem, however, is, yes, it's a film. It's science fiction. It's not actually possible. And it assumes that diving into a black hole will have absolutely no bad consequences whatsoever. So my third solution is this. Enforce a strict diet on every person on this planet. If we all have to eat the same food and the same quantity, we'll probably be all right. The problem is, that's just really boring. Food is there to be enjoyed. We have so much of it in such variety. We don't need to limit ourselves to a dozen different tastes and food types. Plus, we'd probably end up killing anyone with food allergies affected by my fascistic diet regime. So let's try my final idea that I came up with. Let's do everything in our power to take action, no matter how small, that can change the way we approach food and reduce its impact on this world, on God's creation, now and for the future. And were there any problems with that idea? No. But is it really that simple? Because if I'm honest, we all want to make a difference. But with something so enormous an issue as food, it seems impossible to do anything that will actually make a real difference. But actually, yeah, that's not really the case. And one of the first things we can actually do is get serious about shifting to healthier, more sustainable diets, as these very wise people from the University of California suggest. I have to admit that when it comes to food, I'm a total sucker. Whether it's sugar or grease or carbs, pretty much bring it on. 
and I spend a lot of time in Montana. So for me, that medium rare grass-fed ribeye steak, pretty much as good as it gets. I know, I don't do it often. And when I do, I gotta admit, I feel a little conflicted. And that's for a lot of reasons, including the planet. But how big of a problem is what I eat? I mean, does it really make much of a dent in something as huge as global warming? It turns out what we put on our plates matters a lot. About 25% of all the global climate change problems we're seeing can be attributed back to the food and the choices that we're actually making about what we eat on a daily basis. This is greater than all the cars on the planet. In fact, it's about twice as much global warming pollution as the cars. Ben Holton and Maya Almaraz study the connection between climate and diet at the University of California, Davis. They track how the way we produce food creates greenhouse gases that contribute to global warming. With that data, the team has crunched the numbers to figure out how much carbon pollution is produced by different foods and different diets. A lot of people feel really helpless when it comes to climate change, like they can't make a difference. And what our research is showing is that your personal decisions really can have a big impact. So take that grass-fed ribeye steak I love. If you really look at everything that went into making a single serving of beef, you end up emitting around 330 grams of carbon. That's like driving a car three miles. Now, if I choose to have chicken instead, there's more than a five-fold drop in emissions. Switch to fish, and you see the number go down even more. Now, look at veggies. If I swapped beef out entirely for lentils, well, I'm down to practically nothing. So why does beef, and, and lamb too for that matter, pack such a powerful punch to the planet? Livestock accounts for a little over 14% of global greenhouse gas emissions. If that sort of seems low to you, consider it's about equal to transportation. We're talking all the cars, trucks, planes, trains, and ships on the planet combined. This is partly because ruminant animals like cows and sheep, they're just gassy. And the methane they produce is at least 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Plus, it takes a lot of land, fertilizer, and about a billion tons of grain to feed all that livestock. And you could feed 3.5 billion people with that grain. If we were just directly eating these grains ourselves, it would eliminate a lot of the CO2 that's emitted from cattle production. So it's clear that meat has a pretty big carbon load. But it's also worth remembering that not all livestock is raised equally. In parts of the American West, for instance, ranchers are working to raise livestock in ways that actually help restore the land. And they're experimenting with ways that soil and grasslands can be used to keep carbon pollution out of the air. But even these sustainable ranchers will really tell you we're probably eating too much meat. I know a lot of people who, if you don't serve them meat for lunch or dinner, they're kind of like, well, when is the meat coming out? It's to the point now where the U.S. actually has one of the highest meat footprints per capita. So what about not eating meat at all? Vegan is the way to go for the least impact on the planet, but it's not that much different in terms of emissions than, say, a vegetarian diet. And the team found that the environmental impact of the Mediterranean diet is pretty similar to vegan and vegetarian diets. It's a lot less meat-heavy than what Americans are used to, so fish and poultry a few times a week, beef maybe once a month, plenty of plant-based foods, and of course, loads of olive oil. Eliminating like 90% of your meat intake is more important than eliminating all of your meat. We don't all have to be vegan. We don't all even have to be vegetarian. If we can just reduce our meat intake, every little bit helps. And if you can bring it down a lot, you can help the climate a lot. 
If we all just switched to a Mediterranean diet, it could actually solve 15% of global warming pollution by 2050. If everyone were to move toward it, that is equivalent to taking somewhere around a billion cars off of the streets in terms of vehicle emissions each year. So that kind of a footprint is big time. But say you still want more meat than the Mediterranean diet recommends. Just cutting down your portion size to the doctor recommended four ounces can reduce your emissions by half. That's huge. In fact, the doctors are telling us we're eating about twice as much meat as we really need for a healthy diet. The good news is we are listening to our doctors. In the last decade, there's been a 19% drop in the amount of beef we eat. All these things that you're already being told are good for you also happen to be good for the planet. So what we eat really is a big part of the climate puzzle. I mean, we may not all be able to afford an electric car or putting solar panels on our house, but we all have to eat every day. And these choices we make can add up to really big numbers. And since meat has a pretty big carbon load, we need to be thoughtful about how much we eat. As for that ribeye steak that I really love, I am honestly trying to cut back. Maybe it's just a smaller piece of steak or simply swapping out a meat dish for a veggie burger. It may seem like a small thing, but it really does add up to big impacts. Could you eat less meat? Unless you're a vegetarian or vegan, we all probably could. As that video suggests, you know, start by reducing your portion size. We, we need to stop seeing meat as our primary food source and instead perhaps as a secondary one. God told us to care for creation and originally gave us every plant-based food to eat. After the flood, God told Noah and his family that they could now eat animals. But this was after the flood. There probably wasn't enough vegetation to eat, so these guys were going to starve if they didn't supplement their diet with some of the animals they'd carried with them on the ark. But the key word there is supplement. Something else you can do is reduce food waste. Approximately one quarter of food produced for human consumption goes uneaten. Loss and waste occurs all along the food chain from field to fork. We need to make best use of how we prepare and use food. It can mean serving smaller portions if you think some might not get eaten. It can mean using every part of a vegetable rather than just a small part of it. You can make sure you use less single-use plastic in the way you eat food as well. This might mean replacing cling film with things such as Covermate, brilliant reusable covers for food. Or when you get plastic cutlery, don't throw it away after usage, but clean it, take it away and reuse it. A great way to still enjoy food, but act responsibly is to try and only go to restaurants that partner with a sustainable restaurant association when we're eventually able to go and eat out again, of course. Now, these are restaurants that seek to have a restorative impact on the planet through offering dishes that have less meat and lower carbon footprints or use local and seasonal produce. Check out the website, the SRA.org, for more information. And on their website, you can find brilliant recipes provided by restaurants, which can help you eat not only healthily, but responsibly. And for those of us who work in big companies, and when we're eventually back in our offices, let's try and change workplace practices. Sometimes it feels as if we're not able to achieve much. But when big business gets on board, 
then bigger changes can be affected. If you have a workplace, restaurant or canteen, ask for alternatives to disposable cutlery. Ask for food to be sourced from sustainable sources as locally as possible and with as low a carbon footprint as possible. Ask for more meat-free dishes and raise awareness of the massive impact food has on our planet. When big companies make a commitment to something like this, they like to talk about it, and their competitors will take note and be encouraged to do likewise. But everything we do, no matter how small, makes a difference. And these are differences that can have an impact and start to bring about change nationally and have far-reaching influence. I gave this talk a year ago, and since then, with the exception of not having an open office to work in at present, I've actively sought to do all of those things on this list during the past 12 months. Now, there's so much more I could say, so many more ideas to consider, and we've only looked at a few of them. Organisations and initiatives such as those on the screen, the SRA, One Planet Plate, Food Save, Suitable Life, can provide much better information than I can. So why not visit their sites later today or this week and take some ideas from them? There are great ideas in our Lent Carbon Fast calendars as well. Everything we do can make a difference. But above all, we need to consider how everything we do is done to respect God's creation and to glorify our God, the creator of all.